Hey, Unladies. This week in the Unladies Room Patreon, we have a very special guest. Returning Unladylike guest and journalist Allison Yero is talking to me all about her brand new book, Birth Control, The Insidious Power of Men Over Motherhood. It's a fantastic conversation that deep dives into history, patriarchy, uteruses. There's so much I didn't know I needed to know. So if you want to hear the conversation, you got to head over to patreon.com slash unladylikemedia and come hang out in the unladies room. In the criminal justice system, Barbies are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The police who investigate Barbie doll crime and the Mattel Corporation's legal department who prosecute the offenders. These are their stories. This is Unladylike. I'm Kristen. This is part two of Barbie. And joining me once again, of course, is my guest co-host, intern Annalie Anonye. Annalie, hello. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me back today. Oh, I mean, I couldn't do it without you because this is, I mean, we're really rolling up our sleeves and packing up our briefcases and heading to court. Because this episode, Annalie, we are really getting into law and order Barbie. It also like very feels legally blonde for me. Oh, yes. Like this could be Barbie could be Elle Woods right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I might have to whip up another theme. (laughs) (laughs) But if, unladies, you have listened to part one of our Barbie conversation, you already know by this point in our timeline, Barbie is out on the market. She is dominating. She is a girl boss and then some. And meanwhile, Mattel is doing truly everything in its legal and financial power to protect Barbie. Her image, her shade of pink, her name. And I think it also reframes even the feminist debates about Barbie Because it's so much focused on just how cisgender girls interact with this doll and the impact it may or may not have. When if you zoom out, it's not just this doll. This doll is attached to this other massive power structure, Mattel Corporation, that also has the means to influence another massive power structure, i.e. the American court system. (laughs) (laughs) So to warm up, let's just start with a little bit of a, a sampler of some of the more recent lawsuits that Mattel has spent its time and so much money on. I do feel like being part of the legal team at Mattel, you must be making money hand over fist. So much. You're like, I have so many billable hours. (laughs) (laughs) Every month there's a new lawsuit. Yeah. I mean, truly, truly. Okay. Let's start with 1999. 
Mattel sued the publisher Seal Press for a book originally titled Adios Barbie, Young Women Write About Body Image and Identity. Mattel sued them for using Barbie in the title. And also, they said that they were, um, it was copyright infringement for using a, a, a likeness of Barbie's brush and like a couple of her accessories on the cover. And I looked at the original cover and it's really like, and this is no shade to the original graphic designer, but it was kind of like clip art. It was not like a one-to-one, oh, this is a copy-paste Barbie. And Seal Press, which is uh, a pretty well-known like feminist publisher. I mean, talk about Barbie versus feminism. They just settled the case and retitled the book Body Outlaws because they were like, Mattel's coming after us and they will sue, they will appeal, they will keep you in court. And they just didn't have the money or interest in fighting it. From 1999 to 2004, Mattel unsuccessfully sued the artist Tom Forsyth for his photo series on Barbie's power is a beauty myth. And the ACLU ended up representing Tom and Mattel lost that one. They ended up having to pay almost $2 million. And spending five years doing it. This also overlaps with, like, this was the same time they were suing over Barbie Girl. Exactly. I also feel like it's weird that they're going over after, like, artists and like creatives who like I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. people like have social commentary related to to Barbie and I feel like that's important so in 2002 once again Mattel unsuccessfully sues this very niche British doll maker turned dominatrix fun fact this woman Suzanne Pitt who came out with uh, what she called dungeon dolls I think these were actually Barbies that she Recostumed in bondage gear, like BDSM gear. And I think the only reason it even got on Mattel's radar was because Madonna ended up owning one. Uh-huh. It had like a, a moment of some kind of celebrity connection. And so Mattel was like, Oh no, no, they are, you know, they're putting, they're putting Barbie in leather dominatrix gear. We can't have that. But the judge again, ruled against Mattel and said that, look, these dungeon dolls, quote, do not appear to pose any danger of usurping demand for Barbie dolls in the children's toys market. This case with Suzanne Pitt and her dungeon dolls and Tom Forsyth, that photographer, these are two just individuals. Like, they're not, they don't have some kind of, like, giant corporate machine and legal team behind them. So it also just seems kind of cruel on Mattel's part. I feel like it's hard because you're like, okay, is Barbie for kids or is Barbie for adults? And I feel like that's the controversy of the century, maybe. Good evening, Leela and Emmett. S&M Barbie is not her official name, but the clothes are a bit risque. The doll's name is called Black Canary Barbie, and it's being put out by toy giant Mattel. Now, moms, they're freaking out thinking that this doll will be sold soon. I mean, and that is the thing, like anytime Mattel takes Barbie to court in these kinds of cases, like with the dungeon dolls, they claim that these hypersexualized portrayals of Barbie diminishes her essence as and value as a doll because to Mattel, Barbie is not sexual. She is an icon of American 
womanhood and a role model for girls. Like it's just this constant, this constant double bind in a way yeah. <laughs> that that Barbie has kind of been trapped in. Yeah. And then in 2022, they ended up suing Rap Snacks for Nicki Minaj's endorsed barbecue honey truffle chips. If you're familiar with rap snacks, there's chips and different things that they have a collaboration with different rappers. And Nicki Minaj's is a barbecue chip. They're called barbecue. Well, Mattel protects Barbie like it's number one moneymaker, which she is. And they have sued this company saying, look, you need to stop making these chips. You need to pay us for money made making these chips because you've used our trademark. Rap Snacks ended up pulling them and Mattel dropped the lawsuit. But I think this is so funny because I feel like Nicki Minaj has been calling herself Barbie forever. I wonder why this was the only time that they kind of attack. Because I don't think that they feel like the same threat about Nicki Minaj as they have to like other copyright infringements. They even just announced that she's going to be on the new soundtrack, uh, the Dua Lipa one for the Barbie movie. So I feel like they kind of endorsed her image. <laughs> the Barbs are going to be very happy. Yes, yes. I mean, also, wise of Mattel, you don't want to anger the Barbs. Never. <laughs> I think, though, probably the most famous Barbie lawsuit of all is known as the Doll Wars. And this was the series of lawsuits that Mattel started between it and the company that makes Bratz dolls, which lasted almost a decade from 2004 to 2013 and cost Mattel hundreds of millions of dollars in legal fees alone. A federal judge in California has ordered toy giant Mattel to pay more than $309 million to rival toy maker MGA Entertainment and its founder in the latest chapter of a years-long legal fight between the two companies over ownership of the lucrative Bratz doll line. Part of Mattel bringing this massive lawsuit is that it also forced the company to disclose like all of these internal memos and like behind the scenes things that were truly hysterical <laughs> like there was an internal memo talking about how the rise of the Bratz doll is and I quote Barbie genocide and there was one line about how like Barbie stands for good all others are evil <laughs> like they were so wild about the Bratz doll and it raises the same big question we asked in part one with different intonation. In part one, we asked, how did Barbie get here? This episode, we're asking, how did Barbie get here? <laughs> and we're getting some expert help with the answer. Dr. Orly LaBelle is the Warren Distinguished Professor of Law at the University of San Diego Law School and one of the nation's foremost legal experts on labor and employment law. Orly is the author of three books, Talent Wants to be Free, Why We Should Learn to Love Leaks, Raids, and Free Writing, as well as her most recent book, The Equality Machine, Harnessing Digital Technology for a Brighter, More Inclusive Future. And we're going to be talking to Orly today about her second book, You Don't Own Me, The Court Battles That Exposed Barbie's Dark Side. 
In it, the central story is what happened when a former Mattel employee, Carter Bryant, invented the Bratz doll in his time off and the so-called doll wars that ensued. And for those details, you will have to read the book because with Orly, I wanted to cut to the chase of why Barbie is, I'll go ahead and say it, the most powerful doll in the world. So what was your relationship to Barbie growing up? When I grew up, I became an inadvertent critic of the toy industry already as basically a toddler, because as I tell the story in my book, You Don't Own Me, my mom is a psychology professor and she posed me in these little vignettes videos where she showed people me playing with boy toys and another set of videos playing with girl toys. So Barbie and tiaras versus like basketball. And she ran these videos all over the world. And the um, findings were clear. When I was playing with the boy toys, people would fill out that this girl is smart and she's a leader and she will succeed. Versus when I was playing with the Barbies, the expectations of me were much lower. And this is like all me and a little girl of six years old. So it's interesting. Like I never thought at that point and even fast forward throughout like my high school years and my early research years that I would get back to the toy industry. But when I did start researching it from my perspective as a law professor and a behavioral economist researching innovation, I, it actually really resonated that very early on, I understood that the toy industry is a very influential industry on shaping our identities, on, on um, shaping our childhood and our parenthood. And these are choices that matter for your whole life, how you perceive yourself and how people perceive you in terms of your goals and your connections and, you know, your abilities. You know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing you've been searching for on the internet? I get that feeling most often when I'm doing my unladylike research, scrolling through academic databases, trying to find such a specific paper about, oh, I don't know, discourse in women's magazines about pegging, things like that. It is, yes, deeply nerdy and also deeply satisfying. And yet, when it comes to finding a good local physician, it can be even more of a needle in a haystack. Well, thankfully, there's a way, and that way is called ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. I use ZocDoc to help me find quality health care, and you should too. 
Go to ZocDoc.com slash unladylike and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash unladylike. ZocDoc.com slash unladylike. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. The title of your second book is You Don't Own Me, The Court Battles That Exposed Barbie's Dark Side. What is the dark side there? So many dark sides. Um, Actually, yeah, the title could have been like exposed Barbie's dark sides in plural because the story is like a really intricate complex one of why was it, why is it that Barbie had dominated the toy industry, the doll shelf for six decades. How did Mattel prevent new competitors from entering? How did Mattel prevent lots of artists and critics and consumers and filmmakers and songwriters from critiquing what Barbie represents what she looks like, how Mattel was policing, not only from the outside, whoever's like doing something with Barbie's image, but also its own employees, creative employees. And that's like a lot of the story of You Don't Own Me, of what happens when there's a creative employee that has a different idea of a different doll, some like dolls that are more multi-ethnic that are more representative of real girls today, more contemporary. So there's lots of, like when you go actually dive into the inception story of Barbie and all through to current times, lots of questions about corporate ethics and how our markets of for innovation get structured, how people are winners and losers and in this whole fluffy pink world from the outside, lots of dark. (laughs) And that's what really grabbed my attention about the book and about this particular angle on Barbie, because I'm very familiar with all of the feminist discourse, debating Barbie, all of these things that we see from the outside of just this doll, whereas on the inside Behind Barbie is this giant corporation of Mattel doing everything in its power, as they put it, to protect her. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. What you see from the outside is <laughs> not always what you see from the inside. And and I, I should say that I wanted to tell this story because it's so colorful and there's lots of twists and turns and Barbie is so iconic and everybody has some kind of idea of her and she's impacted our lives in some way or another. But the story of corporations making all kinds of choices on how to 
dominate industries, how to control and police their intellectual property and their employees, their talent is a really universal story. It happens in every industry, in every market. And that's something that I had been researching for a long time. I found the Barbie story to be particularly compelling because there's such colorful characters there. And there's this, this dynamic of history repeats as I, like I, I describe in You Don't Own Me, it happens in both the current times and also the early days of Mattel. And I show, again, I think this is quite typical. Every company, every big company, like if you take Facebook and Twitter and um, Tesla, like they start out as a startup and they have a very different attitude and corporate culture at that point versus when they become like the dominant actors in the market. Like we, we used to think about Apple as like this amazing, innovative startup and Steve Jobs was like the icon of innovation versus fast forward to really the days toward the end of his life where he becomes very controlling. He says, just let's sue anybody who tries to copy the patented stuff of the iPhone. Steve Jobs engaged in a lot of problematic practices in the end just to maintain his dominant position in the market. And so very similarly, like you wouldn't think that this is the same dynamics with technology and Silicon Valley and then in Southern California, the content and entertainment and doll industry, but very similarly, a company that starts as a startup gets like such a big share of the market. And then, no, this is the only doll we're going to let anybody purchase. And if any competitor tries to put a different doll out there, we're going to fight them so hard that it will make their lives miserable and make it unlikely that they will succeed. Going back to Barbie's origin story, and you mentioned Steve Jobs, these kind of visionary leaders. How would you describe Ruth Handler in terms of innovation? Ruth Handler, the mother of Barbie, was not really the mother of Barbie. She just picked up this doll that was already in existence. And it's almost there's a sin at the inception or like the origin story of every iconic character that we have in our in our markets. There was copying there for sure. And I think her attitude was more as an entrepreneur that sees an opportunity, that sees new markets for an existing product. I think that's good. I actually think she was a visionary in that sense. I think she was Ruth Handler, certainly a a very interesting character where she herself embodies a lot of this like good and bad of corporate America. She was a force to be reckoned with. She was a woman in a man's world. She did a lot of good in really representing women like as one of the first CEOs in uh, those times as a woman CEO. But she was also very ambivalent about saying that she's a feminist and she hid her kind of motherhood aspect. I think she was struggling with that. And we see with Barbie, Barbie's all these careers, an astronaut, a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, construction worker, but Barbie never becomes a mother. So lots of stories there. 
This feels like an odd question to ask, but I have to ask it. If Barbie did not have boobs, would she still be here? Wow, that's that is a good question. I think it's really interesting the way that a impossible body figure, feminine figure, plastic with it's not just boobs, it's like unrealistic boobs. That was actually one of the puzzles that motivated me to research the inception and the the marketing early days of Barbie, where like, how do you sell a hyper-sexualized doll to girls, to little girls? And again, I found that this was just a fascinating time in in the corporate America marketing. Turns out that the same marketing guru who marketed tobacco and cars and all sorts of products like soap was also hired by Mattel to do that kind of sneaky thing of like convincing mothers that they should buy Barbie, who's like a full-fledged woman for their little girls to play with. You know, before that, we didn't have that. We have a whole history of dolls. And actually, you know, in part of my research, I discovered that it's really part of not only human nature, but primates in general to play with dolls. It's part of how we are socialized, certainly girls, but also boys to have that caring aspect of ourselves. So turns out that even like chimps, and bonobos in the wild, they play with little sticks and those are like their little dolls. They're like mimicking their mom, cradling and, and rocking a, a doll. But throughout the history of human play, we had all these dolls that are just like babies, right? Like baby dolls or little girls or and boys. And that was the norm. And then you s- suddenly see this huge pivoting where Barbie is a fashion doll. And so I think your question is really right. Is it part of the story of her success and us talking about her now? Absolutely, yes. It's so interesting, too, as the litigation around Barbie heats up. uh, There's the case of the Danish band Aqua, where Mattel is suing partly on the basis of people hypersexualizing Barbie, where it's, but wait, the doll that you're selling is hypersexualized. Like, it seems like, this kind of tightrope they have to put themselves up on of both selling her sexuality, but pulling it back really quickly when it serves them. I think that's absolutely right. Again, like that where you're really pointing to all these weird tensions in the image that's so controlled by the corporation of, of Barbie. What do we want her to be? I describe in the, in the book about how they made this decision to keep her breast but they filed her nipples. <laughs> like there's always this kind of give and take. And, you know, as you said, like a tightrope there, she has like some body parts and some others are absent. And so she's like hypersexualized, but also very vanilla. And exactly what you're describing, she is not allowed to be challenged in that history of Mattel going after a photographer who puts her in like an S&M situations in leather. There's also a lot of controversy around Ken, her counterpart, when I describe how Mattel threatens to sue 
a magazine that wants to put Ken as like their cover boy because there are questions about his sexuality, sexual orientation, whether he's gay. So every time there is something that is, I would say, outside of what Mattel and the people controlling from the inside Barbie's image, anything that's outside the norm, the kind of mainstream ideas of womanhood and sexuality, that's where they, they raise their red flag. They, they pull out the big guns of their attorneys and their corporate tactics. I love to shop, don't you? I can't believe my ears. I can't believe my eyes. Every teen talk Barbie is a different surprise. Mine says, I'm calling my attorney. Mine says, I'm not afraid to sue. Uh, and now she says, see you in court. Cool. What are you going to say next? Listen. Cease and desist. I can't believe your ears are eyes. Teen talk Barbie. What a surprise. Now that we're in the thick of summer, I'll be honest with you, I find it harder to cook. That's why I am thrilled to be able to open my fridge and choose a meal from Factor. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit that can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and hey, no cleanup. Factor offers menus to fit a variety of dietary lifestyles, from keto to calorie smart, vegan and veggie to protein plus. And if you're looking to mix it up, they have options like adding a protein to select veggie and vegan meals each week. Treat yourself to more than 34 weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon ready in just two minutes? Yes, please. With Factor, you can also rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions and feature sustainably sourced seafood in all of their meals. This July, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. No prep, no mess. Why are you waiting? Head to factormeals.com slash unladylike50 and use code unladylike50 to get 50% off. That's code unladylike50 at factormeals.com slash unladylike50. And I will love you 50% more if you use that URL and promo code, because it really does help the show. I mean, feed yourself, feed unladylike at the same time. Bon appetit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Considering uh, Mattel's intensity over the intellectual property of Barbie, are you at all surprised that there is this movie happening? Oh, look, the movie is very much 
a collaboration with Mattel. I think it's, it does have very much this kind of control still in it of what Mattel wants us to think about Barbie, but it is a 21st century movie and, and it has very much benefited from all these decades of critiques of losing a lot of its battles of times changing. So there's, I think there's a lot of promise in this movie that's still very much kind of the brainchild, I think, of Mattel, but under new leadership and new times. It's funny because it's like my my book, You Don't Own Me, is about like low-tech plastic dolls. And then my new book is about AI and robots and digital technology. But there's actually a lot like a common thread there of thinking like, how do we shape the things that are so important in our lives? Like what we play with, how we work, how we interact with digital personal system like Siri and Alexa. And, and, you know, how do we give those things, these objects, these innovations, how do we give them meaning and image, like a voice, like a name? Do we personify them? And it turns out that these questions are really complicated. Is there anything else about your work, Barbie, anything specifically that we didn't get to that you want to make sure listeners know? Yeah, one of the aspects that we didn't really talk about, and it really is important in the book, and this idea of you don't own me is the people that are inside of corporations. It's been really important for me. My first book is called Talent Wants to Be Free. And I've been doing a lot of policy work in, here in California. I have a bill that I helped draft that's right now before the legislator and in the federal government. There's an FTC rule that follows a lot of what Talent Wants to Be Free had argued that we should understand that as creatives in the job market, we should be able to see problems in the workplace and speak out about them. And we should be able to use our skills and creative juices, not only while we're working for a corporation, but then when we leave that corporation and go somewhere else, that should be part of our human capital. And so that's another way where the story of Mattel and Barbie, they come to life in a way that's not just specific to the toy industry, but really to all of us, whether you're an engineer, you're an inventor, you're an artist, all of us are in what should be competitive markets. And the impulse of corporations are to tell you as an employee, you can't leave us. And if you leave us, you have an NDA, you have a non-compete, you have innovation assignment agreements, and we'll enforce that, we'll sue you, we'll police it. And most of the time, that's actually invalid threats. But I think that it should be something that we speak up against that huge corporate secrecy and and draconian post-employment restrictions are just something that we should all be resistant to. I love it. Started with Barbie and ended with a labor call to arms. (laughs) Yeah. Annalie, you have listened to my conversation with Orly. I'm really curious what you thought, like if anything 
jumped out to you? If it explained anything more? Well, I mean, I think I've harped on this so many times, but I can't get over how much Mattel hated Ken being gay. That came up, <laughs> it came up a million yes. times. Like it feels almost homophobic. I'm like, well, if like the whole world was running with it, I feel like Ken is kind of our gay icon at this point. I feel like a lot of times you see stuff like this and you're like, oh, we're not going to address it. This is going to be some mystery. Like, I feel like Disney Channel did that forever, but they kept like Mm. coming out to like actively strike it down. So I'm kind of interested to see if that's going to be something that plays out in the movie for us. What about you? What what was your hot takeaway you think out of this? My hot take. And this is this is something that has changed since reading and talking to Orly, talking to you. I do think Barbie really is an icon of American girlhood and womanhood in the sense that she is sold as someone who is fully autonomous. She can be anything that she wants to be. When in reality, this other bigger, dare I say, patriarchal, capitalistic force is deciding or trying to decide and control her body and her image and the degree to which she can or cannot be sexualized. Yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about, too, is just like, Orly talking about the extent to which like Mattel was almost brainwashing like mothers into feeling like they had to give their daughters a Barbie so that their Barbie, their daughter would be like this independent go-getter woman. And you're like, wait, there's this huge influential capitalistic mind kind of reaching into like these girls and influencing them at such a young age. I feel like Barbie is also like more of a cautionary tale kind of in that way of what girls are often sold versus the reality of power dynamics and imbalances in the real world. Anneli, thank you so much for suggesting this episode. I've had so much fun deep diving on Barbie. Oh my goodness, I had so much fun too. Like, I don't think I ever thought that Barbie was doing this much in the courtroom. <laughs> Barbie <laughs> Barbie is our role model lawyer. She is. And I think we'll have to do some kind of uh, debrief, though, once once we see the movie. Now I got now I got to see it. See what Mattel's going to do. It's so funny because I think Gerwig has made so many great feminist icon e-movies in the past few years. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how maybe she pulls in critiques about that Barbie's had in the past, like about diet culture, about like proximity to whiteness, all of those things, the extent to which that is maybe played on in the movie. Cause I know that there's going to be some sort of social criticism. Oh God. I would just love to be a fly on the wall for the meetings with Mattel where they're like, okay, so Margot Robbie cannot have any visible nipple. <laughs> um, like, you know, like what were all, like what, what were Mattel's no goes? Yeah. Annalie, where can unladies find you and follow you yeah you can follow me on instagram and twitter i'm pretty active um i am Annalie and anya on both 
Thank you so much to Dr. Orly LaBelle for talking to us about Barbie. Again, the book that our conversation was based on is You Don't Own Me, The Court Battles That Exposed Barbie's Dark Side. You can learn more about Orly, her other books, and research at OrlyLaBelle.com. You can also follow Orly on Twitter at OrlyLaBelle and Instagram at Orly.LaBelle. Okay, and ladies... We want to hear all of your Barbie thoughts. Are you seeing the movie? Do you love Barbie? Do you loathe her? Are you also convinced that Ken and Alan, yes, they are a couple. It is so obvious. Let us know. Hello at unladylike.co is where you can send us your emails and voice memos. You can also DM me on Instagram at unladylikemedia. You can follow unladylike on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at unladylikemedia. And if you want to support an independent feminist podcast, well you should join the Patreon. Come on over to the Unladies Room. Patreon.com slash unladylikemedia is where you can subscribe and enjoy bonus episodes every single week, uncut interviews with some of our featured guests, and my truest, deepest appreciation. Unladylike is an Unladylike media production, executive produced, hosted, written, and edited by me, Kristen Conger. Mixing and mastering is by Multitude Productions. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Ami May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Until next week, what is the most unladylike thing about you? Oh, so many unladylike things about me, but I'm a law professor who actually can swear a lot when I am playing tennis or playing with my dog. I, I'm also Israeli, and so I think it should be understood as ladylike, but I also reveal in my books how I was an intelligence commander in the Israeli Air Force, or not Air Force, sorry, the Israeli Army. And the reason I said Air Force was that my husband is an F-16 pilot, and when I went to the Israeli Army, women ladies were not allowed to go into combat but we changed that i was fortunate to see that up close when i was clerking on the israeli supreme court so whole aspect of my kind of unladylike career is about changing what we think about as lady <laughs> as, as what, what is possible and specialist of thanks this episode and this year to Annalie Anonye. Y'all, she has been incredible. This is Annalie's last Unladylike episode. As an intern, I have a feeling we will be hearing from her again. And Annalie, if you're listening to this, you're simply the best. And y'all, you're going to want to follow Annalie because I'm pretty sure she's about to change the world. <laughs>